Hello, everyone, and welcome to Conversations on Sex, Addiction, and Relationships. Uh, so glad you're here. Today, we have Jenna Remirzma joining us to talk about internal family systems and explaining what on earth that is. And I am joined, in addition to Jenna today, with my good friends, Jeannie Vitoni, Wendy Conquest, and Dan Drake. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. I'm so excited that Jenna's with us because I have heard about IFS for so long. And uh, even though I'm not uh, trained, um, fully trained in it, I take pieces of it and I've been using it for years with clients. And it's just been so effective in um, understanding different dynamics of the psyche better. But I, I'm really wanting Jenna to like really lay it all out for us. That's what I'm excited about today. Yeah. I'm excited for clarity because internal family systems, you know, and I hear about it in the clinical world, but, and, and Tim, I think you did a great job with the intro of what the heck is that? <laughs> and so I'm really looking forward to Jenna, like making it clear and simple so we all can understand. And then how can people include that in the work they're doing as they're going for their personal growth, whatever their goal is. So happy and excited. And I, I, I did a training forever ago with Dick Schwartz and I, I learned about it, but I don't think I fully understood it. And I'm, but the more I've sat with clients, the more I see the um, um, internal war, internal conflicts that people have ambivalence, you know, one part of them wants something, another part doesn't, they're confused by this. So I'm excited to have her break this down and, you know, kind of normalize some of the kind of wars we can have internally. I'm looking forward to this. I, I have uh, seen enough presentations and done enough reading on internal family systems to uh, make a complete mess of it. Um, <laughs> but I do consistently work from uh, sort of a parts model when it comes to trauma, you know, uh, sort of like functional adult in those wounded inner children. And I'm very curious to see how the how internal family systems fits into some of the trauma work that we do with with addicts and partners and stuff. Jenna, are you there? You want to join us? Bring her down. Oh, there's the intro. Hi, Jenna. I, like I the have intro. My, my magic skills with turning on my camera. I'm feeling very magical. Yay. Hi, everybody. Welcome. Thanks Hi, for being I'm here, Jenna. Be so, so, Jenna, what, what is internal family systems? Give us the, 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 the intro spiel. I know, right? What kind of a name is that? What in the world does internal family systems even mean? Um, I love that question because what it means is that rather than thinking of ourselves as a monolithic singular entity, which is how we're trained to think of ourselves, um, we IFS teaches us that we have a we all have a core self, an authentic self. Um, in my writing, integrating IFS and spirituality, I, I call this the God image within us or the Imago Dei. It's who we truly are. It's the essence of love and many different parts that make up our unique personalities. So for example, I have a one part, I'm a one on the Enneagram, so I have an organized part. And that's just how I was created, I'm, I'm organized. Um, my son is ADHD, he does not have an organized part. That love that boy, it is not in him, but he has a car part. And boy, does he love fancy sports cars. And I do not have that part. So we all have many different parts of us that make up our unique personalities. But what happens is um, when we view ourselves as a monolith, we over identify with something that one part of us is feeling or thinking or doing. And so when that happens, we say things like, I am so anxious. I am an addict. I am a sinner. I am depressed. And when we believe that that part is all of who we are, we lose hope. By contrast, when we know that who we truly are is what IFS, internal family systems, would call our core essential self, which is always, and this is a game changer, positive, whole, loving, and healing. I'll say that again. At your core, at my core, at the core of every human being that has ever walked the planet, is an essential, positive, whole, undamaged self that is the very image of the divine within us. And we have many different parts. And when bad stuff happens, trauma, capital T trauma, lowercase t trauma, yuck, life, 
our parts get covered over with burdens. And in clinical work, we call this trauma, a trauma burden in, in faith language, we call it sin, but it just means things are not as they should be. And when our parts get covered over with these burdens, they lose access to who they truly are. So for our viewers who are visually following us, let's say I have a part of me, hypothetically, not that this is actually me. Okay, it totally is. Um, I'm holding up a little squishy heart here to represent the core of who I truly am. This is who I truly am. And in IFS, we, we learn that this part of us is always containing the eight C qualities, calm, clear-minded, curious, courageous, compassionate, connected, right? This is the place from which those spontaneously overflow. There's no efforting required. It's always there. Um, but let's say that one of my parts, and I'm holding up a little sweet part, a little doll here for people who are not on, on video, um, was designed, it's a part of me that's designed to connect an intimate relationship. And, and when I was young, growing up in a military family that moved constantly, never had a, a stable home. I was an only child. I was always the kid on the outside looking in, very awkward, wound up in my adolescent years in a private preparatory academy in Hawaii, um, where Barack Obama, Steve Case, Carrie Ann Anaba, and others went to high school. And I showed up with my buck teeth and acne and awkwardness and was bullied and rejected and isolated. This part of me, this sweet, dear part of me that was created to connect an intimate relationship got covered over. She got covered over with a burden and now she carries shame. The burden is shame. It's not who she is. She's still under there. For people who can't see me visually, I just put a little cloth over her. And now, and the thing is that time does not heal this. And when our parts become burdened, they get stuck in the moment in time when they experience the trauma. So this part of me, it's been burdened at many points in my life, but it feels about 12 or 13. And I'm a grown woman and my life looks a whole lot different right now than it did back then. But let me tell you something, this part of me, um, when I walk into a room full of people who look like they have it all going on and they all know each other, and I'm fairly confident and outgoing in who I truly am, but this part may see that and it remind my, sorry, the burdened part for people who can't see uh, that became burdened with shame and rejection sees that and it's a trigger. And in addiction work and in betrayal trauma work and in therapy work, we talk about triggers. That's what this is. Burdened parts that are trapped in the past that have lost access to who they truly are, see something that reminds them of the traumatic event and they... They take us over. For people who can't see the visual, it's like the clouds covering the sun. The sun is still there. Who I truly am at my core is still there, but I've lost access to it temporarily because this part has taken me over. And now I think I am this part. And if I think monolithically, I'm going to identify with this. I'm going to over-identify. But the truth is, when these parts take us over, we get flooded by their feelings. We think their thoughts, we feel their somatic experience. And these parts of us that carry our pain, IFS calls exiles because everything in us wants to exile them. This is an intolerable experience. If you've ever had a part of you that carries shame, that floods, it's a life or death, it's, it's intolerable. And so IFS teaches us that we get two other kinds of parts that get burdened that try to help with that pain. We have proactive ones and reactive ones. The proactive ones are called managers because they try to manage our lives so that that never happens. And these are things like people-pleasing, perfectionism, control, spiritualizing. I've written a whole book on the integration of IFS and Christian spirituality. For everyone, talks here oh, it is. So for anyone, that's, it's an excellent book. All together, you. All together, you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Dan. Um, spiritualizing parts are the parts that... Um, are often responsible for all of our spiritual trauma because they use the words of our authentic connection to the divine. They sometimes engage in the behaviors of the authentic connection to the divine, but they're a burdened part and they're trying to help us avoid the pain of our exiles. And so they use God language and God behaviors to move against our exile parts. 
So we have these proactive guys that try to prevent our exiles from flooding. And of course, they're not successful. Eventually our exiles flood and we feel the shame or the rejection or the brokenness or the worthlessness. And then the reactive guys have to jump in. And those buddies are called firefighters because they have to put out the fire of that painful feeling. And these are all the parts that often wind up in our offices as CSATs and trauma therapists. So this is alcohol addiction, work addiction, drug addiction, sex addiction, porn addiction, dissociation, cutting, suicidality, homicidality. And here's a really critical thing that we need to know. And that is that all parts are good. I wanna just, I wanna repeat that in a different way. There are no bad parts. Mm -hmm only good parts stuck in bad roles. And so what happens is these parts are jumping in, trying to help us avoid the pain of our exiles. They're either trying to prevent it or they're trying to put it out. And of course they're unsuccessful because this, the, the authentic self is the place from which we can help our pain, not from our burdened parts. They're well-intentioned and they're making our pain worse. So if I'm feeling shame and rejection and I have a manager part, let me see if I can find a manager part. Um, here we go. I've got a, here's my people pleaser. Yeah. Little, little guy, don't you love this guy? It's awesome. And this part is like, yes. Oh, I'd be so happy to bring that casserole. And I would absolutely serve on that committee. And yes, I'll stay late. And oh, of course I'll help you. And oh yes. And let me come over and listen. And this part is managing, it's trying to help run my life. Notice it's not who I truly am, it's a burdened part. And it has an agenda, it's really well-intentioned and it's trying to help me avoid this pain of rejection. But the problem is, just like any burdened part, proactive or reactive, if I start doing that, you're gonna start probably taking advantage of me or not appreciating me or finding me annoying. And pretty soon it stops working and oh dear, now I'm flooded with this rejection again. Now my pain is worse. And oh my gosh, now my firefighter has to jump in. And for those of you who can't see the video, this is my cookie monster cookie. And I'm <laughs> going to eat all the Girl Scout cookies. I'm going to eat them all. Because my cookie eating firefighter has learned that if I eat some sugar, it's going to make my shame feel better for just a hot minute, but then it's worse. Mm -hmm. And there's this aha moment when we realize that the proactive ones that look so socially acceptable, like performing and pleasing and perfectionism are doing the exact same thing that the sex addiction, the alcohol and the suicide are doing. They're trying to help with the pain and they're well-intentioned. They're stuck in bad roles. They're not who you are. They're not who I am. And we can help them, but not by moving against them. And this is the magic. This is the magic. I've created a condensed version of the IFS model and I call it move toward because that's the spirit of our essential self. Our essential self moves toward all parts of ourselves and others with love and curiosity, compassion, and courage. Um, this is the place from which also betrayed partners, the only place from which we can wisely observe what boundaries need to be and set and hold them. Mm. So what we typically do in life, in dieting, in addiction recovery, in relationships, is we move against the parts of ourselves and the parts of others that we don't like. And moving against makes our suffering worse. The solution is to move toward them, to help them unburden so that they can be freed up to be what they were created to be. And what I know as a CSAT IFS therapist person is that all of these hard, hard parts that come in that we have so much shame about when we're struggling with them, if we have a sex addicted, addicted part and it comes in and it's been trying and trying and trying to help with that pain ever since we were five years old hiding under the bed when mom and dad were screaming and no one likes this part, not inside, not outside, it's hated everywhere. And as a therapist, I say, oh, oh, sweet part that is acting out sexually, welcome. Welcome. You are welcome here. Can you tell me what it's like to be you? Where did you, how do you feel about this job that you have in my system? Teaser, it hates it. 
where did you first learn how to try to help me in this way? When, I, when you were five years old and hiding under the bed and mom and dad were screaming and you, you accidentally touched yourself and realized it felt pleasurable. And that became my solution to when you felt pain and fear. Oh my gosh. And how are you doing with this job? I'm exhausted. If you didn't have to do this, if you didn't have to worry about me feeling those feelings, what would you rather be doing instead? Nine times out of 10, this part of the client says, I'd rather be connecting intimately in relationship. This is the key to what we are hoping to get for our clients. And if all we see is the outside behavior, if we all we see is the burden, we're missing the answer. And there's a beautiful message in IFS and it's this, what's in the way is the way. Whatever is presenting holds the answer to our healing inside of it. Because the sex addicted behavior, the alcohol behavior, the raging, the blame shifting, the controlling, the people pleasing is not who that part of you and who that part of me truly is. And it doesn't want to have that job. And if what we do in our recovery, in our therapy, in our care is take that part and try to lock it in the basement. And by the way, that often comes from a manager part that wants us to stop it and it beats up on the addicted part or sometimes the spiritualizer part that's horrified that we are doing that thing and it starts spiritualizing this part or maybe it's the people-pleasing part that desperately just wants to make the spouse or the partner happy. And these manager parts start ganging up on this firefighter to lock him in the basement. And guess why our relapse rates are so high? Because if I came up to you and I pushed you and locked you in a basement and I didn't even ask, hi, what's your name? Tell me about yourself. Well, you'd probably be pretty hacked off at me and you'd probably burst out of that basement, push me right back, wouldn't you? And that's why move toward is the answer to healing, not just sex addiction, not just betrayal trauma, everything that we struggle with. And well, sorry, I get a little excited. I've distilled the model into three words, notice, know, and need. And we can talk more about that if you'd like. <laughs> I'll take a breath. I want to know what the notice, know, and need are. <laughs> yeah. Please, please, please explain that for a moment. And then we can maybe come to the group. Beautiful. So when I'm in my authentic self and we're dealing with burdened parts that are at war within us, this is the answer to why do I do what I don't want to do? is because you have parts at war within you. One part is trying to help you by doing one thing and another part's trying to help you by doing another. One part's trying to help you avoid pain by acting out and the other part's trying to help you avoid pain by making you get sober. And those two parts are at war. Okay, so what we tend to do, I'm gonna use my cookie eating part because I just ordered Girl Scout cookies and they're coming in the mail and my cookie eating part is like, yes. Okay, so this is who I truly am. And let's say, so, I, I, need, I feel like I need to clarify. Eating cookies is not always a burdened behavior. Sometimes it's just nice and it isn't always a burdened behavior. So I just need to say that. But let's say in this hypothetical situation that I'm flooded by shame because I made a mistake at work. I did something and my perfectionist manager, like there's a chink in the armor. I'm flooded with shame. All of a sudden I feel the feelings of this shame part. I think the thoughts of this shame part, I'm such a worthless person. I can't believe I made that mistake. Everybody's going to hate me. I should quit being a therapist and go live in a hole. And I somatically feel the experiences of this shame part. My shoulders may cave in, my face may flush. I may have a pit in my stomach because my perfectionist manager, there was a chink in its armor and oh, my cookie firefighters like, girl, I got you <laughs> cookie. And it takes me over. And so we go back and forth in this penduluming from being flooded with parts to trying to lock them in the basement because the cookie eater is trying to lock them in the basement, which just contributes to more penduluming. That's why our diet industry is so wildly successful in keeping our money because the pendulum does not work. It makes it worse. In contrast, if I notice I'm getting taken over by a cookie eater part, I'm gonna know that because I'm no longer feeling calm, clear-minded, courageous, compassionate, connected, and all those eight C qualities. All of a sudden I'm feeling an urge to eat all the cookies. So I can simply take the three steps of move toward and I can notice, where's this urge showing up in or around my body? 
oh, it's, it's in my hands. I've got this urge to go get that box of cookies and it's kind of in my heart. I can feel it right here in my heart and my hands. Okay, great. Let's stay with the noticing. Let's welcome this part of you until we can begin to notice this is not who you are. Now there's gonna be lots of other parts that don't like the cookie part, right? The parts that wanna fit into my pants and go to the gym and all of that. They don't like it, that's okay. They're gonna come up, let them come and then just let them go. And stay with the noticing and where it is in our body until we begin to be able to become aware. And for people who can't see the video, I'm slowly separating this part of me from my authentic self until we can get just a little bit of distance from it in a compassionate way. Whoa, there's a game changer. We don't welcome these parts. So notice it with an open heart. Once I've got that open heart, by the way, if all we can do is this, we've done a lot. This is no, even step one is not easy. It's simple, but not easy. Now I've noticed it. Maybe I'm getting an image of this part of me in my mind's eye, I know where it's living in my body. Now I'm ready for step two, which is no, K-N-O-W. From my core self, I'm literally gonna ask this part of me. And for anybody who thinks that sounds really weird, like we're fruitcakes talking to ourselves, do you have an inner critic who talks to you all day long? This isn't as weird as it sounds. I get it. It's a little weird, but for real, our parts are talking to us all day long anyway. So we're just sort of making that conscious. So I can literally ask this part of me, what do you want me to know about you? And then wait for an answer, not try to figure it out. Oh, I think this part of me developed when blah, blah, blah. Uh-uh. What do you want me to know about why you just got triggered and took me over just then? Well, because that is too painful to sit in that shame. You did all this stuff. You did it in front of all these people. They're going to think you're a horrible person and it's unbearable and the cookies make it better. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So you're trying to help me not feel the shame. That makes so much sense. Um, when did you first learn how to try to help me in this way? Oh, well, when you were... 14 and you'd had this horrible day everybody bullied you and rejected you at school and on your way home um you stopped at tcby and you got the thing with the m&m things and it just felt better for a minute and then you went home and cried and i figured out that the sugar could help for just a minute oh gosh wow yeah i remember that what are you afraid would happen if you didn't take me over and make me eat all the cookies well then you really would be a horrible, awful person. And I don't know, you might have to kill yourself or jump up. You know, I don't even know. It would just, it would be unbearable to have all that shame. Yeah. What do you want me to know about how you feel about this job? Well, I hate it. I'm exhausted. I have to be on guard all the time, ready to jump in and eat. And I, nobody likes me. None of the inner other parts like me, but I have to keep doing it. There's no other way. Yeah, that makes sense. Now I'm ready for step three. With that no step, I'm just getting to know this part. I'm developing a relationship with it and I'm listening to its wisdom, right? Listening to our own inner world of parts is a game changer. We can't help them if we can't listen to them. Now I'm ready for step three, which is need. Hey buddy, what do you need from me right now to feel just a little less activated, a little less triggered? Well, I think I need you to maybe make a repair for that one person that you made the mistake with. And I need you to reach out to a safe friend who can just reassure you you're not an awful human because the cookies really don't do the trick. Okay, buddy, I can do that. I, I can make an amends and I can reach out to a safe friend. Okay. Now my cookie eating part has calmed, feels understood and well-represented, and I have a much more effective way to help it get to its goal than having it take me over or trying to lock it in the basement. Take me over, lock it in the basement. This is an exhausting pattern that we repeat all day long, every day. Notice no and need is simply helping us to get in relationship with our parts and listen to them so we can help them. This doesn't do the trauma work. There's more to the IFS model but it is a game changer for how we calm ourselves when we're triggered, mm -hmm. when we're overwhelmed with an urge to act out, 
And it is offering inside of ourselves what most of our faith or mindfulness practices help us to offer outside of ourselves, loving kindness for all parts of who we are. For those of you out there listening, this is uh, Conversations on Sex, Addiction, and Relationships. And we're talking with uh, Jenna Remersma, so close, um, about internal family systems. Uh, I, I love everything that you said. There's so much stuff going through my head, but I also know that I tend to be a blabbermouth. So I'm going to step back and say, <laughs> what, what, what came up for the rest of you as Jenna was talking about IFS? Jenna, I, I really want to thank you. I, this is such helpful information and you covered so much in such a short period of time. Um, one of the things that stood out for me is that um, with partners of sex addicts, um, when I first started working with them 12 years ago, I got very curious if there was any uh, traits that were common. And I found one big one which is every partner I've ever worked with has been over-functioning. And so as soon as you said that piece, oh, you know, a piece that's over-functioning, um, I, I was struck by how uh, so many partners will feel that the, the, the real uh, problem, let's say, is the sex addict. Um, or, you know, I'm going to say any relationship, if somebody has a perfectionistic piece, an over-functioning piece, it can be um, uh, very, um, very common to stand up and say, hey, I, I, I'm okay. I'm good. I've worked forever to become this amazing um, when they really believe they're not amazing. But, and so it must be the other person. The other person is the sole problem is, you know, we, we really need, I need to see what's wrong with them and they need to get fixed. And then my life will be okay. And so I, I really appreciated you um, bringing this up. Oh, well, Wendy, I'm so glad you <clears throat> mentioned that, excuse me, because I work a lot with partners and the beauty of IFS versus how, how we operate in any other way is there's no pathology. So very often when we come in and we're in a partnership, there's a, who's the bad guy thing going on. Well, I'm not the problem. You're the problem. You've got this part. Well, you're, you're acting out sexually. Well, you're, you're such a nag. You're so controlling. And we have the warring parts of who's the problem and who's the bad guy and who's going to get the diagnosis. And a lot of why partners with intimate partner betrayal have therapy trauma is because as therapists, we can collude with that sometimes. And we can pathologize the behavior of one of their parts, just like we can sometimes with addicts where we pathologize the person who's acting out. And I, even the very language, I would like to invite us to have more nuanced language. Addict and, and betrayed partner are monolithic terms. Mm -hmm. And I, I would suggest that it is a, a, an individual with one part that has learned to help them by acting out sexually and another individual that may have a part that has learned to help them by avoid pain by being, trying to do things perfectly. And they're both doing the exact same thing. And the beautiful thing about it, and I love what you said, is that there is often this deep polarization internally and externally. And this is where so many of our partners get stuck because here's, I'm holding up my little heart again, here's who the partner truly is. And the partner is gonna have, especially with the triggers, all of the exiles are gonna get triggered when there's betrayal trauma. So there's gonna be shame, alone, powerless, rejection, all these exiles are getting flooded. So a whole host of managers and firefighters are going to tumble on in to try to take care of that emergency. We tend to marry or partner with people who are opposite ends of the spectrum. So manager heavy folks tend to marry firefighter heavy folks. So one person's got the acting out parts, the other person's got the perfectionist people pleasing control over function. Um, but they're doing the same thing, same parts, good parts stuck in bad roles. And what will happen is the partner, we've got the betrayal trauma, we, we get the flooding um, and uh, let's say what's a common issue. Um, do I stay or do I go? Boundaries, boundaries with partners. Oh my gosh, any of us who do boundary work with partners, super complex. The reason why is because I gotta find my, ah! okay. Partners tend to have polarizations come up. This is a broad, many partners have very different ones, but 
um, we can get this going on with a partner. Okay, these are the protectors and a partner gets a, an exile triggered and comes up with a rage part. How could you do What is the matter with you? That's speaking from this part. And this part says, you low down lily livered son of a Slytherin snake, I'm done. If you ever look at pornography ever again, I'm divorcing your sorry button. You're gonna have to go live in your mother's basement. And then the angry protector calms down. And then this part comes in because the angry part and the, oh dear God, I can't lose him part are polarized. And when the angry guy calms down, the holy crap, don't leave me part comes in and says, do you wanna have sex? And the partner goes, I am a crazy person. I threaten to kick him out and then we have sex. And like, I'm losing my mind. No, honey, you are as normal as the day is long. You have parts at war. You see that? And they're fighting. I see that dynamic happening the opposite very frequently. And I, and I warn the addicts of this, be ready that when they get close with their partner or they and their partner are sexual with each other, it's not uncommon for the partner within the day or shortly thereafter to push away. And when you're talking about those polar parts, it's like, I just let myself get close, but it doesn't feel safe. And so now I'm reacting and I'm pushing away. And, and, and I, and, yeah, I was just going to say I really like the, the that that idea, which you know we've talked about in in multiple different ways over the years about what is that part really asking of you? Yes. You know what 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 is what what is the need there? If you step into that and understand what that's trying to do, can you take that on as your whole functional self instead of letting that part try to do an imperfect job of managing it? Yes, and I love what you're saying. These burdened parts cannot help us connect in intimate ways. They can masquerade, but they are gonna have a should or an agenda or a fear behind it. So if I'm trying to be intimate out of this, don't leave me part that its job is to either collude with the pornography or you know, over, you know, approach in something because it's afraid of abandonment. That's not real intimacy, it's a burdened part, but we can be intimate from this core authentic self and the way that we want to do that is to move toward this, this burdened part until it calms down. And then from here, from this core authentic self, and only from here, are we able to wisely evaluate, are you in a place that it is wise for me to approach you in an intimate way? And if so, taking care of these other protectors that have lots of feelings about that and connecting intimately from here this, this core authentic self is the place that we want to help people go. And our challenge is that we sometimes try to replace certain protectors with other ones. So if we have a partner who is, has got a rage protector up, or maybe we have a partner. I love this. I want to I've got to here and, and just yes. remind our public that what you're saying is powerful for all relationships, That's not right. just addict partner. That's and right. so if someone like the rage protector, I'm getting my words yeah. with authority, but it's like okay. that can be expanded to beyond addiction or addictive relationships and such. So I just want to make sure our listeners are not going, oh, this is addiction talk. That's not me because this is really everybody in, in difficult relationships and we all have our parts. So I just want to put that I piece. Think that's a good point, but I, I, I will say I've been the, the people I've worked with that the protectors, I think when someone, someone tries to stifle one, another one will pop up in its place with, you know, if they haven't really done, done the work. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think that's a really good point, you know, especially for, for those that have, have a part of them that's coped through the addiction. Um, a question I have for you. So mm-hmm. I love the compassionate approach. I, I find you know, many of the people I've worked with, they, they want to kill the, the addict part. They want to just not just shove them in the basement. They want to, to like put, take them out back and shoot them. They would, they really want to do this. They want to do anything they can. Um, and partners do as well. Like everybody yeah. wants this guy to die. Um, my, my question. So how do you address when someone's coping? So you say they're good parts trapped in bad roles, those bad roles, when those bad roles, you know, are gaslighting, they're psychologically manipulating, they're, you know, creating devastating consequences and harm. How does this approach, you know, I I can understand, I love the compassion approach of good parts, but now we have perpetration and harm. How do you address that perpetration with the model? 
This is such an important question because the immediate follow-up question is, does that mean anything goes? Right. Does that mean like, oh, well, my husband's sex addicted part is a good part in a bad role. So come and act out and it's all good. And I need to just welcome that. Oh, heck no. What this is teaching is that move again. Well, let me say this. Good parts stuck in bad roles does not mean that what our parts are feeling or thinking is good. It categorically is not. And that's true if it's perfectionism or if it's drinking. It is categorically not a good feeling or a good behavior. What this teaches us, and I'm, I need to own that this takes everything we've ever known and turns it upside down on its head. And so for most people, this is a kind of an experience, but I know that it's true because I've done it the other way and I've done it this way. And I've also experienced it myself. And it is, the, the, it is a game changer. When we move against parts of ourselves without understanding why they're doing what they're doing and we try to get rid of them, lock them in the basement, just get rid of them, we make them stronger, we make our suffering worse. And if that part stays locked in the basement, the other ones are gonna jump in. So if we manage to get the sex addicted part locked in the basement, and we've got really strong managers with really strong deadbolts who are like, daggum, this guy's staying in the basement, we're gonna be sober come hell or high water. Guess what's gonna jump in? Yep. We're, we're gonna we're gonna start, we're gonna get really, really busy. There's my little tigger guy. I'm just gonna stay so busy I can't feel. I'm gonna eat all the cookies. This is why you get sober, you go to AA, you walk through the cloud of smoke to stand in line to drink the coffee and everybody's gained 30 pounds. We lock the alcohol in the basement. Yay. But now we got the others that are taking over because our firefighters and protectors work in a hierarchy. So what we're saying is not that the behavior is okay. It is a 100% not okay. What we're saying is the most effective way to change it is to move toward it, not against it. From and we recovery. engage these parts in the treatment planning. From a recovery perspective, I, I hear you saying how important it is not just to stop at sobriety, which I always refer to as you know what we don't do, and how yes. important it is to step into recovery, which is what we do, and the parts of recovery that are about healing and restructuring that relationship with ourself, yes. as well as stepping in and doing the trauma work so that those underlying wounds aren't driving us the way that they used to. Exactly um, you said that. something that reminds me, I'm, I will often talk with the people I work with um, when I can tell that they're agitated or they're dropping to their trauma spaces in the middle of my office. And I'll look at them and I'll say, how old do you feel right now? And like you were saying, those trauma wounds or those parts that get locked at like that 12 or 13 year old and how common it is and how I think it can be a great signal for people of, oh, I'm, I'm in one of those, like in your, your wording, I'm in one of those, um, those either manager or reactive parts because I feel really young. I don't feel like I'm my, my standard adult self. Yeah. Well, and that's a beautiful point, Tim. Um, and we, you absolutely, we know it in the room when it happens, when a part takes our, our client over. Mm -hmm. And um, the beautiful thing is we can use this inside of ourselves, notice, know, and need. And we can use it when people are coming for us to us for help. And we can see like uh, they're, they've gone into a child place, they've got an exile that's flooding or the, the part that wants to act out addictively is up and it's arguing with why it doesn't have a problem and you don't know what you're talking about and the CSAT thing and blah, 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 whatever. We just say, that's awesome, welcome. Where are you, when you're hearing that, either feeling that shame or whatever it is, or you're hearing that language about how you don't have a problem and, and the CSAT thing is crazy, where are you noticing that in or around your body? And I'm wondering, would it be okay if we welcomed? Just well, can we, can we just stay with that and just welcome that without trying to shift it in any way? Could we just welcome that part of you that's telling you that? And then could you ask that part of you what it wants you to know right now? What is it afraid would happen if you did have a problem? What, where did it first learn how to help you by taking you over and telling you you didn't have a problem? How, how does it feel about that job? What does that part need from you right now to feel a little more safe in here? Or what does that part need from me 
so that it doesn't have to take you over and we can drop back down into the real conversation. I really wanna honor this part's concerns. What does it need from me to feel safe right now? What is that part of you that tells you you don't have a problem? What does it need from you or from me? That's a game changer right there. Yeah. I'm not getting into an alligator wrestling match with this part because we've all probably done that. I know I have and woo, we ain't gonna win that one. Um, we just simply welcome it because it's running the show anyway. We are simply making overt what is already happening in the room. We're not in charge, that part is. And I'm just gonna acknowledge it and I'm gonna welcome it and I'm gonna get to know it. And when we do that, All parts welcome is the mantra of IFS. It doesn't mean what all parts are doing is good or okay. It means that all parts truly are welcome in the room so we can find out why they're doing what they're doing, how they're trying to help, and we can engage them in the treatment planning. You're not a bad part, part that is denying. You're a good part, you're trying to help. Let me understand that. Where'd you learn how to do that? What are you afraid would happen if you didn't? Well, what would you be willing to let us do for the next week? Would it be okay? Sexual acting out part, denial part, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> do it right part, spiritualizer part. Can you all come around the table together? What would you be willing to let us do just for the next week? I'm not saying you have to go pick up a white chip and then never do anything ever again. No, 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 no. Just tomorrow, the next week until our next session, what are you willing to allow? Talk amongst yourselves, let's make a compromise. And that's our plan for this week. Now I've just brought the acting out parts onto my treatment planning team and I've partnered them with the get sober, do it right, don't make your wife mad, spiritualizer parts. And now we're on a team. In fact, I will often say with these parts, I know they've been fighting like your whole life and it probably is exhausting. Would they like just for a week to be on the same team? We could give them all the same jersey just for a week. I don't want them to give up their roles. They're super important, but they could be on the same team together just for this goal. And then we're going to check back in and see how that went. And this gets us much faster to where we want to go, which is to the exile to heal it so that the parts that are acting out and denying and resisting can be unburdened and released to be what they were created to be, which is not the behavior that they're stuck in. It's a faster, more effective, non-pathologizing, compassionate, resistance avoiding way to heal the trauma and change the behavior wildly more effectively than move against mm -hmm. is a game changer. It's the reverse of everything we've ever been taught to do. And it is my opinion, mm -hmm. the answer because it boils down to love loving all parts of ourselves, listening to all parts of ourselves without saying what they're doing or feeling is good. It's not okay, but helping them come on board so they're not fighting and resisting what it is that we're trying to do to help so they can see that we're here to help them and we actually can do it more effectively than they can with these repetitive behaviors. Thank you, Jenna. Yeah. So Jenna, thank you so much for sharing. This is so, so informative, so compassionate too. I really appreciate your approach. We would love to learn more. So if, if anyone that's listening would like to uh, learn more about what, what you do and um, services you provide and other resources, can you show us where, where should we direct them? Yeah, absolutely. Well, people can always get lots of information uh, at the ifsinstitute.com. Um, you're welcome to come hang out with me on my website, which is shock, wait for it, movetoward.com. And uh, I've got tons of free guided meditations on my website. I've got uh, meditations on Insight Timer. If you want to move toward your own parts in this way and get to know them, um, if you'd like to have free resources sent straight to your uh, inbox in your email, you can text my name, which is Jenna, J-E-N-N-A. This totally sounds like an infomercial. You get a free set of Gensu knives too, if you call. Text, <laughs> text Jenna to 33777 and straight away we'll send you a bunch of free resources, a, a move toward journaling worksheet, a guided meditation for a sex addiction part, for a betrayal trauma part. 
and we will get you started on this journey. Um, I have a ton of teaching videos on my website. Um, my book, All Together You, is available on Amazon. I've got a video workshop of All Together You on my website where I teach um, with props all the way through the book. So you can go deep. We've got lots of exercises. And um, yeah, if you are a helping professional, I offer a ton of consultation groups and individual consultation. And we do a lot of integration on addiction work, trauma, EMDR, IFS, spirituality, psychodrama, experiential. I'm trained in all the things because I have big nerdy parts that love to learn. My husband put me on timeout, no more trainings, no more graduate school. Um, so we, we do all the things integration and I'm actually working on an integration book right now, which is my 2022 project um, that will be coming out hopefully end of the year on integration of these various beautiful models. So those are a bunch of different ways that we can get some free accessible resources in your hands if you're interested. So you can drop in and go deeper right this minute. I, I loved having Jenna on the on the show with us today. I'm, my experience was that when she was talking about things, what I heard was a lot of stuff that that we have been doing in our offices for many, many years, but it was just put in a in a package that is so easily accessible and such a and a concept that's easy to convey to clients that it, it might make everything that we've been doing just a little bit more accessible, which is really the point of the work that we're doing with people anyway. And I and I would be very curious how people react to the the part of um, saying I am you know because in twelve step culture that's the very first thing that people lead with is you know my name is George and I'm a sex addict right that that's what the, what people lead with and so I, I heard very clearly that she was saying you know this is not who you are right this is a part um, that has been developed to. Um, help you out with a with a very um, old wound. So you know that that fascinated me that that uh, piece of information, um, and I and I like it. it it's I, I hear people say this about um, having cancer, right? They say you know my cancer, and a lot of people say don't don't identify yourself that way. Um, the Can I speak to that? I, yeah, sure. I don't know. I would be curious with Jenna. Jenna not here, but I. It makes me think it's the the war between the protector parts, you know, the, the managers and the firefighters. To me, if I can say I am a sex addict or I am a whatever, I don't think it's identifying. I don't think it's saying that's all of me. I think it's a way for uh, for my manager parts to not have to say to, to annihilate that part or, or put him in the basement. So he, he has a, a place at the, the table. I, I, I don't know. I'd, I'd be curious what, what her take would be, but I feel like that's to me, there's an integration that says somehow I'm I'm a, a good person who's done some bad things. Yeah, and I, I hear that. Those two. I hear that more as acknowledging something that I have denied for so long, and so it's like bringing that part so it can be a part of this conversation. You know, you know, I'm I'm, I'm a sex addict is acknowledging the part of me that has, you know, used those behaviors to try to protect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Jeannie, you got thoughts today? Well, my, my thoughts, I was actually really reflecting on Pia Melody's work and that imperfect, perfect mm. young self and going back to those inner child experiences and uncovering that and the caring shame piece. Um, but this is a way that for me, it took that and then had it more um, animated where I could then see that part of me and pull it apart. For me, I feel like it was un taking this tangle of string and yarn and pulling it apart a little bit so I can actually see how it unfolds. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the noticing. If I can have that awareness of the threads of this tangled mess and I, I bring it out and I can look at it and I can understand it and then understanding it. What does that thread serve? What does that behavior serve for me? How is it getting me to where I want to go or that young child in me, whatever need has not been met. And then the third part, you know, is, is the trauma work piece, which we've always said, get sober, stay sober. Now, how, why are you an addict in the first place for our addicts? But getting to that younger trauma piece of what covered and, and when she had her little girl figure and putting that blanket on, you know, for me, I was like, oh, that's the trauma work. That's the EMDR. That's the brain spotting. That's the inner child. That's those other trauma techniques to 
cast off that shame or guilt or fear of insecurity, whether addict partner or outside of our addiction world. So for me, it was taking a lot of information and reframing it in a, in a very um, uh, easy way for folks to take and work um, therapeutically, but also on their own. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, I noticed a few things I noticed the moving towards, I, I noticed when, when Jenna was talking, when she moved towards there's it's slow, her, she kind of got softer. She slowed down and there's, it seems the opposite of sometimes when I'm talking to people and they speed up and they want to defend and we're getting in a debate something. I've been there. I mean, I don't know if you guys have, but I'm debating a client, why something this, and we're having this like toe to toe wrestling the alligator moment. And it, I I've taken the bait a number of times, but it doesn't, it's different. We don't have to do that. And I really appreciated what she said. And I, I noticed a few times she used the term it's a game changer. And I do think it is the way you, you, you can approach this for clients, for us as practitioners, I do think it's a game changer. So I really appreciated her perspective and her wisdom. There's definitely a theme of mindfulness that's woven throughout internal family systems. The idea of, I'm just going to notice and be aware of, of everything that's in my experience is everything that's going on. I'm not gonna judge anything as good or bad. I'm also not gonna weight anything more heavily than the others, but I'm just gonna be aware and then choose where I move forward with that from a, a place of mindfulness as opposed to a reactive place of judgment. I also loved how she has resources for folks. And it's not just for clinicians, folks who wanna do their own meditation work or want to use this imagery to help understand and welcome that parts of them. So that again, back to that non-judgmental, if I can see it, understand it without judgment, then I can help heal it. Yeah. And so I love that she has resources that people can go right to her website and get. Well, thank you for joining us today on Conversations. So glad that you're here. We had a wonderful conversation with Jenna and uh, looking forward to continuing these conversations with you. Uh, please make sure you rate us on Spotify, iTunes, uh, YouTube, wherever you find us. And uh, we will see you in the future on conversations on sex, addiction, and relationships. 